0: We've all heard some great lawyer jokes. Trust us, we've heard them, all of them. But without sounding too adversarial, lawyers are humans too. In fact, that's the main theme of this podcast. Welcome to the Human Lawyer, the time and place where we have conversations with lawyers focusing on the intersection of the existential and the practical. For 16 years, Professor William Jansen was a litigation partner at a white shoe law firm, Saul Ewing. For the last 10, he has been a law professor at the Charleston School of Law. A cursory review of RateMyProfessors.com says Professor Jansen is caring, challenging, passionate, enthusiastic, and accessible. His subject matter expertise from an academic perspective is civil procedure. His life expertise is people and connection. Perhaps his passion is owed to the Philadelphia Eagles and the St. Joe's Hawks, who, have, who has led the college cheering section since 1955, and remarkably never stops flapping, flapping its wings. Neither does Professor Jansen, albeit on a different playing field. For a person so universally loved and so consistent in his approach, questions abound as to the source of his passion, his voice, his authenticity, and the chance he took to leave a large prestigious law firm to impact the lives of young people at an emerging law school. We'll explore those topics perhaps and any others Professor Jansen leads us to, as he has led so many of his law students in pursuit of a successful civil procedure experience and in turn legal career. Welcome to the Human Lawyer Podcast, Professor Jansen.
1: Thank you, Kevin. It's uh, wonderful to be here.
0: So the the St. Joe's hawk is something that I learned about in my research and I I recall I hope I get this right you did go to St. Joe's correct I did yes and so is is the idea of the hawk flapping its wings all the time uh, is that something that you all used to celebrate or recognize as students there
1: yeah accompanying the image Kevin is the motto and the motto is the hawk will never die that is the, uh, the St. Joseph's university sports mantra. And it's, boy, you know, isn't that sort of, uh, a, a, a metaphor for life, right? Uh, it, it's never over until it's over. Uh, there's always, uh, reason to be enthusiastic. There's always cause to, to keep going. And, uh, there uh, as a uh, college student there i can tell you very, very frequently the flapping continued even though the scoring didn't but we ended up uh we ended up with some very nice seasons in 2004 uh, st joseph's uh, finished the regular season ranked number 1 in the country which is really remarkable because the whole school is very small and much smaller back then than it is today uh but it was uh it was sort of a um, a call out to uh, students in certainly in our cohort at the college that uh, everything is within reach if you try hard enough. Mm-hmm.
0: And is that, how did that play out? Um, uh, this is an overly broad question, but how did that play out like in your career as a lawyer? Because like, I feel like when you're, a younger lawyer um, you might not fully appreciate that or maybe you don't believe it at certain points that anything's possible or if you just you know push through like some something else will break and so as you think back to maybe your early years as a lawyer are there instances where the hawk flapping its wings and St. Joe's being number one bore itself out in something that manifested that you might have not
1: otherwise thought would have So I I don't know uh Kevin I you know you you've got to be careful one has to be careful about not being too Pollyanna-ish about that notion it, it, you need to be realistic and you, I I think part of the the message for me the part of the takeaway was uh everything's within reach if you work hard enough so it's it's not it's not an entitlement. It's not something that you uh wake up every morning and expect wonderful things to happen. I think um, St. Joseph's is located in the city of Philadelphia, and the city of Philadelphia has fantastic educational institutions, many of which are nationally ranked at a higher level than my alma mater. But uh I I I think the the takeaway for me, both in life and in practice, was uh, the fact that you weren't born into an opportunity for uh, achievement based on uh, who your family is or what connections it had didn't mean that uh, your your path was constrained. It just... Uh, um, working hard and and getting lucky on more than a few occasions uh can can get the job done. So I I don't know that it's transcendent quite so much Kevin as much as it's uh it's a reminder that fine you know you you weren't a, an alumnus from Harvard or Yale or Stanford or Michigan or the University of Pennsylvania that doesn't mean that there's There's a guardrail on your future, and you just have to be courageous enough and inspired enough to just keep driving
0: mm-hmm. to whom to whom would you when you think about your work ethic, who are some of the people that you think about perhaps owing credit to to them or um, or maybe it was an experience <laughs>
1: so and and i'm sure you felt it kevin in the practice of law the the lawyers who mail it in get run over i mean that's just the way it is or that's certainly my observation i, I think watching the practice of law up close as a young lawyer both uh i i i had the good fortune of being a law clerk for two different judges so you're watching very talented, experienced lawyers appear in front of judges. Uh, and then you're out there in practice, the the hard driving lawyers with a tremendous work ethic always seem to get luckier than the lawyers that weren't working quite as hard. And I you know, I think the takeaway for me was um, there seems to be a common theme in success theory. And uh trying to replicate that was was sort of obvious something to do,
0: yeah, you mentioned something in an earlier response that I think um I, I can't speak for other but certainly something that I've dealt with and um and i' I'll, I'll call it sort of the tension between Pollyanna and pragmatism um and and the idea the potential the risky generalization that you know, a lot of loss a lot of law students and then um, young lawyers of whom I would include myself in this bucket have a, have can't have a really idealistic or or Pollyanna view of um, how things should be and and you sort of you learn and you see and you observe as you've as you've um, highlighted but then then and this is sort of the existential tension that you know I think about today is like then sometimes the pendulum swings too far to to pragmatism to cynicism and so I think uh what strikes me about my experience with you and clearly the experience that others have had with you is you're able to find the balance between anything's possible and uh it's it's a tough world out there though uh and 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 sort of uh creating a a playing field where um people people you know don't feel constrained by that just curious uh, if that's something that you do consciously or it's just something that you're imparting on people based on your lived life experience as they say
1: yeah probably the latter kevin i i mean aren't all of us imprinted with our dna uh with the American story, I, at the end of the day, you know, just, just imagine life in the, the 1770s, you know, the, the, the biggest empire in the world is being thrown to the, to the side by a bunch of visionaries who imagine a different society that's locally led, locally directed, and we fight off a war with a, a remarkably powerful opponent that far eclipses our ability and we wear them out and at the end the american story begins with a bunch of uh, a small population of folks in a new society of uh, of leadership imagining themselves uh with uh boundless opportunity and that that's sort of even as little kids i mean i think folks who are educated as young people in the united states of america especially if they've got great social studies professors and history professors there's a lot wrong with our history kevin there really is but it's also remarkable the ingenuity and drive and success of, of our past and looking at that, not, not through the rose-colored glasses, in a mature perspective, informed by all of the, the nastiness of our past, it it's a message of promise. It's a message of you you can get there if you just want it hard enough and work hard enough. And um, you know, the the ish piece is why isn't someone knocking on my door it to me? Um and I, I think for me that's the line and I, to to answer your question, I don't know that I I do anything like that purposefully, it's just I think I'm just an intrinsically optimistic person.
0: Yeah. Um, well, shifting gears a little bit, but on the topic of optim- being optimistic, um, uh, your eagles continue to fly uh, in ways that uh, could be unpredictable. And so, um, Talk talk about your love of sports. I feel like you're you're a sports person on some level, and uh, I'm curious where you might um, when you first became a fan of sports.
1: Uh, uh, well, thanks for the call out for the birds. the uh, the 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 Eagles will uh, will inspire a love hate relationship with you, like most other sports franchises. You know, we made it to the we made it to the mountaintop uh, in February and then, you know, seven seconds away from winning the, the Vince Lombardi trophy and we lose. So um, I, uh, I remember as a young guy, Kevin, my my dad, a big ice hockey fan, and we went to see the expansion Philadelphia Flyers. Where you could get tickets for a song back then, and we would go, and it was sort of a a crazy wild sport. It was very fast, and if you were a little kid watching it, how can you not enjoy that? I mean, that was just outstandingly enjoyable. My love for the Eagles came later because in the 70s and uh, um, 60s, uh, Kevin, they were awful, they they weren't (laughs) as bad, they were just awful and we we would uh you know play the dallas cowboys and get our butts handed to us routinely so i think i think uh uh seeing in 1980 or 1981 january 1981 the eagles make it to the super bowl again albeit another loss what was the moment in which i fell in love with them so it's uh you know, it's that uh hard scrabble, uh hard luck story franchise that finally gets close to the golden ring. And you know, once you get once you get a sniff of that, I'm sure you as a uh uh Panthers fan, you know, going to the Super Bowl, boy, it just it wets your appetite and you can't wait to get back.
0: That's right. That's right. And hope springs eternal. You know, I think that's the uh as much as he has been a, uh, a lightning rod for criticism locally lately, prim- primarily owed to like a bad real estate deal in Rock Hill, our owner, um, David Tepper had or something recently, he said something that I was like, okay, I- I'm with you on this one. And that is like the, the primary job of uh, the head coach is to sell hope and to instill hope and for the Carolina Panthers hope now has returned primarily because they got the first pick and, you know, there's a a whole world of possibilities and whoever they get, you know, hopefully uh, that's going to change the tide a little bit. So, yeah, I, I love, you know, sports to me, I think the the thing, and this is my recollection is, uh, um, you know, I, I was, I was your student, more than 10 years ago, so my memory is dated. but I remember you you had a, a gift of analogizing sports or some of the the metaphors of, of different contexts of, in life and and helping, you know, clarify or make a point about some otherwise complex area of the law. And so uh, talking about clarifying things or things changing, you have been in Charleston for a long time now. Not just in your role as a law professor, I, I feel like so much has changed in Charleston. Um, and I would just be curious to um, hear your hear your experience there. Um, how much it's changed since you've been there, and sort of what uh, what what were you thinking when you moved down there? Just setting the setting the job part aside, but like here you come into this Philly to Charleston seems very different. Um, or I don't know if you were in Philly when you're at Saul Ewing, but my point is, it seemed like seems like a big change. It,
1: it, it was a big change. Um, I I had been looking, Kevin, uh, to get into legal education, and I and, and I had had several opportunities previously, and I was very 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 happy at Saul Ewing. It was a great law firm. Thought the the culture and the community there was wonderful. Uh, I, I was very fortunate to be in senior firm leadership and enjoyed my colleagues immensely. Um, had a, had a practice I was thoroughly enjoying, wonderful clients, but I I really had a interest in the classroom, um, and I scratched that itch a little bit with uh, adjuncting. Um, but I, I I kept my eye out, at least passively, for a position as a full-time academic. And uh, our law school, as you know, we pitched, Kevin, a different vision. So the vision for Charleston's law school was, unlike many big-time law schools in, in search of a US News ranking, where the academics are driven to be prolific scholars at the cost of the classroom experience, Charleston was the opposite. So Charleston was saying, listen, everybody who joins the faculty has to be a scholar and has to be a productive contributing um, voice in in growing and expanding the law. So that, that wasn't de-emphasized, but what Charleston emphasized was, your number one job as an educator was the classroom and the students and they were first you you need to do all the other things but being a um, effective classroom educator and a mentor and putting students first was was sort of our defining image and my wife and I came down Kevin and we we heard that message and you talk a little bit about Pollyannish you sit back and you say yeah 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 i mean that's i i i'm sure if i said uh, you know i was a, you know a big lacrosse fan they'd tell me how wonderful lacrosse was in the vision for the law school but the more and more we got to meet the faculty and the staff and the students who were there at the time it sort of rang true, and my experience now seventeen years in is um it is true that 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 is who the law school is, and that is our sort of special sauce. So when Mary Kay and I left uh, Philadelphia, we came down thinking, well, let's do this for a few years. I mean, what a wonderful adventure Charleston's going to be, and then we'll probably head back to Philadelphia. And 18 months in, Kevin, Mary Kay sitting with me, uh, we're, we're sort of on a porch um, by our house. And uh, she's saying, you know, I don't know that i am in all that much of a rush to head back. But now, you know, Charleston today, you know, being the hypocritical carpetbagger that I am, we're too populated we need to pull up the pull up the entry sign here and we need to put up uh you know some sort of a block or something across the roadway and say we're filled up come for a visit enjoy charleston and then get the hell out
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah it, it
0: you know it, what what a wonderful tale it's not a i mean a. And I got my math wrong, so let's correct that. 17 years. You've been in Charleston 17 years?
1: Yep, joined in uh, August 2006. Kevin, I remember that first day we had a faculty meeting. I mean, at the time was uh, Richard Gershon. And I'm sitting there in in our faculty meeting, and I'm just looking around at everybody. And very interesting conversations about whatever it was we were talking about and i just couldn't wait for the students to come and that's when i knew man this this was my calling
0: um yeah so all right let's take that one step further because those that have the privilege of taking your class all have stories about your class and the way that you i had to be I never had the privilege of taking your civil procedure class, but that is a very formative experience for anyone I've talked to. And how do you prepare for those classes? Because it's not, you're not, you're not just throwing a fastball, like you, you you'll dress up, you'll do different things. So just uh, without revealing the magic
1: sauce, like what, what are, what's that look like for you at a high level? Um, well, you know, uh, thank you for the shout out, Kevin. I mean, it's a, it's a real privilege to be in front of students. Um, I, uh, I think the reservoir that I tap as an educator is principally my practice, you know, so, so often you get into, uh, a setting where you're teaching about something that you don't know, you haven't lived it um, until you've been shouted at by a judge, until until you've been um, maligned by the uh, adversary, an attorney on the other side, until you've been accused of something by a client. You know you. Those are just foreign odd feelings and i think the practice of law is a rough and tumble um occupation and it requires a centered sense of ethics that that has to drive you through all of the oddities that come with practice what i try to do in the classroom Obviously, the students need the content, the substantive law, for for many reasons. They need it to to pass a law school test. They need it for the bar exam. They certainly need it for practice. But I think for me, the, the interest level, the enthusiasm comes from Put, put the, the casebook away now that we've learned the, the primary contact, put the casebook away for a minute. Let's talk about boots on the ground, what it really looks like and things you need to be mindful of. And I I, I found, Kevin, that if if you're able to convey to students why whatever it is that you're talking about matters and matters to them. And is exciting to you, and ought to be exciting to them. Um, I mean, y- you can get folks excited about—wait for it—personal jurisdiction, Kevin. I mean, that's that's the full measure of the moment, isn't it? <laughs> it
0: sure is. It sure is. Uh, I mean, Twombly and Iqbal. How could you ever forget? Um, there you go yeah how could you ever forget? Um, well, uh, I know your time is in demand, and would promise to only take so much of it. And I would just as a parting shot, there have been many white nights in uh, the law school's history, and you certainly would be uh, one of those. I think you've you talk about flapping their wings or working hard, and I feel like you have helped the law school and and all the students that you impact work hard and get through things and um lucky lucky to be connected and those that have you now are lucky to have you so thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me Kevin and uh uh congratulations on on the great uh, outreach that this represents. It's a it's a wonderful thing and you're doing uh wonderful work up in North Carolina. Thanks for for the leadership you're showing too and I look forward to us connecting in person very soon.
0: We, we will. We will. Um, take care and talk soon. We need to recognize that this is possible because of the hard work and support of the well-run media team. They make this easy. And speaking of easy, big thanks to Hugo Coworking for access to their studio. And of course, the lawyers who agree to take time out of their busy, busy schedules to be here, even though we're sure they have better things to do. So thanks for saying yes.